Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds. And this is a big uh, this is a big day for myself, Ollie Gill, and Australia's third favourite son and fourth favourite silver fox, Mark Schwarzer. Because, Mark, not only is this a Christmas special, uh, it's also the first time we'll be doing this episode and we're not face-to-face. We're not, we're not sitting underground in your house having a sharp red together. Yeah, we're not. Um, you know what? It actually may be the best episode ever because <laughs> yeah. now I can concentrate on, on, on what we're talking about rather than be distracted by your mullet. Yeah, exactly. Well, not your mullet. It's actually not even a mullet, is it? It's, it let's be honest, it's not a mullet. It's um, your wannabe perm, which is very soon to be a perm. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we all know that uh, my girlfriend's getting me a Christmas perm, so it's an exciting time. Hey, um, before we start and get things underway, uh, and I want you to tell me a little bit about the, the wine that we'll be trying, because, of course, for my Christmas present, you got me the same wine that uh, you're having right, uh, right now. Uh, but there was a story that I heard uh, from you about uh, you've had a little bit of trouble with the red wine and uh, the equipment that you've sorted out for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a minor disaster. Well, actually, it w- w- didn't turn out to be a disaster. I thought it actually was going to be one. So as I was setting up, getting ready, um, obviously, we've, we've been a little bit nervous because we are doing it from different locations. I'm away, let's be honest, I'm away in the Savoy, up in the, the French Alps, uh, taking in the scenes and uh, practicing honing my ski uh, my, my ski skills, let's be honest. And, I, and I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and we're having a complete down. Uh, downpour of snow um, or a chucking of snow which I love not many people like to go out there and, and ski in these conditions but I do anyway back to my my averting disaster so I've bought this microphone I've plugged it in set up my recorder thinking right this should be great we've got it all sorted and as I move my laptop with my my microphone plugged in it not attached to me I, as I go to put it on the table I don't know how Maybe it was bad karma because I'd already started drinking the Bell of Red Wine without you. Oops, sorry. Uh, my microphone ended up straight in my cup. But I quickly grabbed it out with those reflexes that I had. <laughs> sure, still, just, sure. And um, I did the only thing I thought I could do. I chucked it straight in my mouth and sucked on it as quickly as I could and hard as I could. Well, the th- and I think I saved it. I saved it. So it still works. You don't want to uh, let anything go, do you, Mark? You know, it's, it all counts. Every little drop. That's what I was more concerned about. Exactly. The microphone I thought we could do without. Yeah. But wasting the red wine, that was terrible. Exactly right. So here are the two sharp reds, just as a reminder, if you're listening for the first time, uh, we will join, uh, we will sort of uh, try a bottle of wine, and then at the end of the episode, we'll compare it to a player, past or present. Mark, what uh, bottle of wine are we trying today? Well, we're actually tasting um, your favourite, Shiraz. So it's a, mm. Dur- a Darif Shiraz. Dark Corner. It's an Australian... Um, uh, variety of it, uh, South Eastern Australia, 2018. Oof. So, obviously, I bought this for for you 
and happened to buy, I happened to have two of them, so I thought it was an ideal time to, to try it, to, to give you a gift, and I thought I'd take a bottle with me so we could do exactly what we normally do just in different parts of Europe, and um, no one can say, well, actually, one of you didn't drink it. We're actually drinking exactly the same bottle. <laughs> exactly right. Well, well, two of the same wine anyway. Not the same bottle, but two of the same <laughs> wine. Cheers, Mark. Merry Christmas. Yeah, and to you as well. Cheers, mate. Mm. Oh, yeah, see, you, you know me. That's that's right up my strasser. That's uh, yeah, that's bold, isn't it? That's nice. It's it's very it's very bold. It's very fruity. Mm. Um, I'm 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 feeling like I'm at the dessert bar, getting <laughs> getting a bowl of uh, wild berries and and everything else that could go with it. Berries, cherries, everything I'm tasting. <sighs> big fan, big fan. Hey, Mark, we'll get to the one a little bit later on, but let's get stuck into the Premier League. I suppose it was, I mean, it's never, you know, it's, it's very rare, sorry, that uh, we get a, a reasonably uneventful weekend in the Premier League, but it was pretty quiet. It was pretty standard until that game between Chelsea and Tottenham came along. We saw the Master versus the Apprentice. Of course, it was Mourinho taking on Lampard. Lampard, obviously, he got the win 2-0 for Chelsea which is huge for him and Chelsea away from home at Tottenham of course uh, but it was an eventful day to say the least Mark it, it was and you know what I was slightly surprised but very happy that, that Chelsea got up and won and, and deservedly so and they um, Frank Lampard was excellent uh, his, his tactical uh, change I think caught uh, Jose Mourinho off guard and uh, you know they they just they played very very well. Willian was was excellent. I think I think Chelsea need more of Willian, more of him, more more often to, for him to perform at that sort of level. We don't see it often enough. And he was on fire. I mean, his first goal was just such a a typical Willian goal. Really quick feet, close control, and and funny enough, he's done it against Tottenham. A team that obviously is one of the big rivals for Chelsea. The, the, the rivalry is not the friendliest, let's be honest. But also, uh, I don't know if you know the history, but when he came over from Russia, he was actually at Tottenham's training ground doing a medical. And everything had been agreed. And he was doing his medical and passed his medical. And then apparently the very last minute, Chelsea were on the phone saying, actually, we want you here. And it was Jose Mourinho and... Uh, I think, from what I understand, uh, you know, William was out of there as, uh, as 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 soon as he could be, and and uh, was on his way to Chelsea, and and we signed him. So it was a, a major coup for for Chelsea, and obviously he's been a, a fantastic player, and he played really really well yesterday. And like I said, Chelsea they outsmarted uh, Tottenham, they outplayed them. And uh, they were in control for pretty much the entire game. It's an interesting one, uh, you know, because I guess we we need to talk about Chelsea and and how fantastic they were and and what a big game that is for them. But unfortunately, sometimes there are bigger things in football that distract you from from the result. Uh, and unfortunately, this time it goes back to uh, you know, racism again, rearing its ugly head within football and society. Uh, we saw Rudiger was making claims of of certain uh, chants uh, directed at him. And, and Chelsea. Uh, we also saw that uh, Tottenham fans was throwing, I think it was a, it looked like a coffee or a bottle of water at uh, Kepa, and it was just a, um, it was an ugly, it was an ugly ninety minutes for football when, when all you want desperately is every time something doesn't happen, you think, okay, great, it's slowly leaving our game. But unfortunately, Mark, it, it feels like it's, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, listen, I think it's, you know, in England. Uh, over the over the years, we we've kind of um, you know sort of buried our head a little bit. 
we've pointed the finger very, very quickly to other countries. More recently, Bulgaria and the racist chants that were ongoing during that match recently in the European qualifier. And rightly so, you know, there, there have been ramifications from that because it was disgusting. Um, and, and in this country, it's been happening more and more, uh, more frequently that there, there, there have been various incidents with raci- racial sort of um, gestures and, um, and, and, and comments and shouting from the stands. And it, it's a time now where uh, you get this feeling in the country that it's been, it's been there at the surface bubbling for quite a long time. And it starts from right at the top. I mean, from the political uh, atmosphere, you know, we're talking about our two main main uh, uh, contestants for for being prime minister, candidates for being prime minister, were uh, have, have various uh, racial allegations made towards both of their parties. And actually, the current prime minister, you know, was very much made some very racist comments about, particularly the Muslim community and the black community. So it's it's it started at right at, right at the top, and it's filtering all the way down. And, and football um, has often been the scapegoat, often been singled out as being the main, the main uh, corporate, the main instigator of, of racial tension and racial uh, behaviour. Uh, but unfortunately, at the moment in, in, in this country, it, it's from the very top all the way down. And what we need is we need the FA, we need the PFA, we need the Premier League, um, kick it out racism. Uh, can, uh, charity. We need everyone involved. UEFA. Everybody needs to come together now, and everyone really needs to start doing something. It's a hard and act upon. It's a hard one, isn't it, Mark? Because on a certain level, you know, it, it stops and starts with what happens at home, people on the street, and, and football in itself is a, a separate day of the week. You know, it's it's hard to control everything. But when we're talking about in a football environment, what needs to change now? Because we saw in that game that it was the first time we heard uh, the announcements uh, from the on the PA saying that uh, racism was starting to affect the game. Now, do you think from what you saw, or obviously you weren't at the game, but do you think that that worked or is that really, it's not going to do anything? Because the other thing I was expecting was the players to go off, but unfortunately when when you strip it all back, Chelsea are winning. <laughs> you know, they're not going to want to go off. It's, you know, what what happens now do you think from a uh, an educational standpoint? Yeah, well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It really is. Because um, from, a, from a football perspective, it's mid, well, towards the end of the game. Chelsea are winning the game. But the ac- accusations have been made uh, towards a, a Chelsea player. So for, 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 for I, I can't imagine any player, whether it's a Chelsea player or any other player, making false accusations. I mean, they're, they're, I mean if, and if they were to be deemed or found to be, so then they would have to be punished accordingly. But what I think is, I actually think, players do need to leave the field. I actually think they do need to make a stance, walk off and apply pressure on, on every other fan in that stadium. The, 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 the majority who actually do conduct themselves in the appropriate manner. We, we want passion. We want, we want the, the, the rivalry. We want that tension. We don't want that to lose that. But what we want is people still to have some sort of control. We don't want people to start you know, uh, throwing racial racial uh, accusations towards players. We don't want you know them to to you know the, the the disease that it is to come into the game and into society. So I believe that by players walking off the pitch, first and foremost, they're making a very important and very valuable stance. But secondly, what it may do, it may force the average individual, the one that that doesn't, the average fan that doesn't cause any issues, who genuinely want to go and watch 
a good game of football and support their, their, their team and also support football, to then stand up and make a stance, to actually then to be, to be more vigilant, to be more, uh, be more uh, prepared to, 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 to actually point fingers at people, to, to, to show the authorities who the, the individuals are. I'm sure that, you know, with all the, the particularly at Tottenham's uh, stadium, you know, it's a brand new stadium, all of the CCTV cameras that they have there, uh, the TV cameras, I'm sure they'll find the individuals uh, or the individual who, who actually made the gestures. And I hope they do, and I hope they get punished, and I hope that there's, 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 criminal, there's criminal proceedings against them. Plus, more importantly, they need to be educated. Yeah. And there needs to be a naming and shaming and an education along attached with it, because that's the only way I believe that, uh, that we can get to a point where people hopefully will start to change their views. Someone in the crowd threw something at Kepa where I don't think it was racially targeted. It was just... You know, out of frustration. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a very is it, would you say it's a very lonely position on the field when you're a goalkeeper? Like you stand sometimes if you know if you're away from home and you're playing there and you're just standing there, you can be a bit of a target. But did that does that ever get to you? And and what what are your thoughts on when when people obviously you know take it way too far and start actually throwing items at you? You know what? I was very fortunate throughout my career. I would say 98% of the time, I had no problems whatsoever. I didn't have fans throwing things at me. I didn't, you know, you, you, of course you, you had the odd abuse. You, you, you had more banter. You, you know, you had fans giving you stick. Um, maybe you're wasting time a little bit. Um, maybe there was an incident where, you, you know, you got away with possible foul or, or something, or they just try and put you off your game. So most of the time you take it as a bit of a compliment. Um, on, on the very, very rare occasions I did have things thrown at me, yeah, it can be intimidating and more concerned about getting hurt. I remember in Uruguay in 2000, uh, was it 2001, for the 2002 World Cup qualifier, or World Cup qualifiers, yeah. The second leg was in Uruguay. And I remember... The place was, it, it was honestly, it was like you were in the jungle. It was so volatile. It was the aggression. You could feel it and see it in the, in the, in, in the atmosphere. Um, from the minute you arrived, the intimidation that was going on. I mean, I had, people were breaking bits of the stands up. There were concrete, like little bits of boulder that they'd broken up and they were throwing. There was a moat around the pitch. So there was a high fence, a moat, and then another high fence from the fans and they were throwing things across and they were landing you know near and around the six yard box and there were, there were chunks of concrete from the stand I mean that no longer becomes just the odd little bit of banter or, or, or someone trying to intimidate I mean that's people trying to seriously hurt you and so, so that, that's an extreme. And that, that only ever happened to me once um, but you know that sort of stuff again in, in, in the UK we, we kind of we, we thought that we'd kind of got a, gone beyond that, but as it's shown again, not only with the racial issues that we're having, but also with general behaviour. You know, often it's a case of you know it's this this this, it's this mob sort of uh, sort of mentality. Put a whole group of people together, particularly men. You know, alcohol's involved, and they start to behave irrationally, uncontrollably. They start to to forget about any kind of normal sort of general respect and behavior that one should probably you know one one should have with one another and uh it's 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 appalling you know and and football in a lot of ways um needs to take look take a stance and look at other sports 
and and maybe you don't you don't want to completely change, but you, people need to have a little bit more respect for for one another. And unfortunately, a lot of the times when they go within a, within a stadium, within a you know a group of people, they they just they behave like. I wouldn't even say animals because for me animals are, are better behaved yeah. than a lot of these these human beings. Well, other than your and, that, and that's the unfortunate side. Other than your dogs, they are they're obviously quite scary. <laughs> well, for, for you maybe, but like you know, and, and often I I get them worked up a little bit because you're coming, exactly. and, and you know I don't like you very much. No, so that, exactly. That's obvious. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting point you bring up, and and I'd love you to deep dive a little bit on it as to what actually is going through your mind when you're standing there and things are being thrown at you that. It, there's there's a very clear difference between an empty uh, you know beer cup or a or a drink bottle to concrete. You know, do you start to think about when you're leaving the stadium and and are you genuinely scared for your safety or do you recognise that there's almost this bizarre context that you're in the stadium and then once you're out, you know, we can move on and and it, and it won't happen or do you or do you genuinely does it stay with you? Yeah, there, there was only one time that you gen- that I genuinely thought this could go bad. And that was in Uruguay. That was back in 2001. We won the first game in Melbourne 1-0. Uh, Kevin Musket scored a penalty. And the return leg was in Montevideo. And like I said, from the minute we arrived in the, in the country, we were spat at. We were, you know, punches were thrown at players. Um, the Australian government had to get involved. We ended up having military uh, protection. But you still have that, that undercurrent, that feeling in the back of your mind, that thought in the back of your mind that maybe, maybe they may turn a blind eye. To certain things, and they may allow one or, other, one or the other thing to happen, and it's it's all about intimidation. And and in the stadium, it's there; it's very much in your face. And uh, it started off with us, with the players, we, you know, the the opponents, Uruguay, the national team, and the way they were in, trying to intimidate you in the tunnel, like you're actually underground, you're under the stadium. Um, and we made this long, long walk. They actually sent us on this massive wild goose chase around the longest path you possibly could go around the stadium. Uh, um, to under the ground and it's literally like a tunnel and dugout tunnel and there was a wire in the ceiling from point to point where a light bulb then popped out and that's what it was like and it was almost like rubble uh, throughout the course of the, the whole tunnel and all of a sudden you pop up next to the stadium sorry next to the ground the pitch and the place just erupts and it, you know the, the, the anger the aggression that's coming from the stands is pretty overwhelming the intimidation is huge and you just thought Imagine if, you know, at the end of it, you kind of think, imagine if we won this game. You know, we're having things thrown at us, or we drew the game, and we qualify for the World Cup. You just, you wonder, how far would they have taken it? Because for all of these people, it's it's more than life and death. You you hear a lot of times in South America in particular, where fans actually kill each other um, because of results going against them. So that was the only one one time. Even the second time around in 2005, I didn't feel anywhere near as intimidating. I mean, we learnt from, from the mistakes that were made back then in 2001. We, we, I think from a government level, there were assurances made. Um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a very good relationship from, from my understanding between the Uruguay government and the Australian government. Uh, I think there's a trade agreement and all sorts of stuff. So there, there were, there were um, a lot of contact made, there was a lot of contact made beforehand to make sure that the, the same thing, sort of, sort of incidents were not to be repeated. And, and, and they weren't. And we literally arrived the day before the game. We, we flew in, trained, play the next day and that was it we're out straight away so we we didn't have any of that intimidation we didn't have any any issues and because it was the first game as well you know it was on a knife edge so um we we uh it was a completely different experience the only one time was in 2001 
Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. And Mark, I want you to paint me a word picture if you can. Where you, so oh, I would assume that uh, you would agree with me that the best time to have a nice glass of red wine is in a cold environment and there'd be nowhere better than a ski chalet. But can you paint me a word picture where you are and what you're doing? Well, if I were in a ski chalet, I would probably even send you a picture. I'm not. I'm in a hotel. Um, and uh, I'm actually I'm facing outside the window. It's just stopped snowing, I think. Um, there's a Christmas tree outside there. It's white as anything. There's, there's like, I would say, probably a metre and a half of snow lying around. It's beautiful. Uh, it's been around, around about two degrees, um, so not, not too cold. So it fluctuates between two and minus two degrees. And uh, it has an incredible Christmas sort of feel to it, and uh, just really enjoying a nice, you know, glass of red wine. Um, you know, it's a shame that you know we couldn't be there together to to share it. I know it is. Um, I, know. I don't think my wife would be too happy that if you're in my bedroom, <laughs> in my room now, uh, my hotel room, it, sharing a glass of red wine with me. It might, yeah, that might. Uh, you know, we we are close, but oh, I don't know if we're that close. And speaking of Christmas, hey, what's the Best. Not quite, not yet. Not, anyway. not yet. You know, give it two, three more episodes at least. Exactly. Um, what's the best Christmas present you've ever got? As we are doing a bit of a Christmas special here, I've got one for you. Um, in particular, I think I was maybe eleven, and one of my best mates, uh, his older brother, was an Arsenal fan at the time, and they had lost this big game. I can't remember exactly what it was, and he just properly flew off the handlebar his name was Alex and he just he couldn't stand it anymore and he went right I'm I'm gonna go for Liverpool and he took everything out of his wardrobe everything off his wall and he he just gave it all to me he said I don't want it anymore I don't want it and it was the best it was around this period of time it was for, for Christmas and I remember it was the best gift I was ever given it was unreal were you already an Arsenal fan then, or did that sway you? No, no, no. Arsenal yeah, fan? no. I was a big Arsenal fan, and they were sort of a, a really big footballing family. And you know, we'd go over there and just you know watch watch little YouTube clips um, of Thierry Henry. And, and my mate was a United fan, and so we'd just watch little clips are uploaded at, at the time. And yeah, Alex just couldn't couldn't handle it, and I think he's made the right decision going for Liverpool. And whilst you brought up. Arsenal. I mean, what do you think? You know, Mikel Arteta. Are, yeah. are you are you happy with it, or are you concerned, um, or are you just going to sit on the fence like you normally do? No, no, I'm off the fence this time around. Um, I'm off it, and I'm going to tell you why. I think the only issue, the only fear here, and it's like we're in some bizarre parallel universe when you think that Carlo Ancelotti has gone to Everton and Arteta. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com has gone to Arsenal. You know, if you just look at their CVs and their names alone, you just go, I mean, this this can't be right. But but my my honest and gut instinct is that quite often when I watch a Manchester City game, when there's a specific goal scored by maybe someone off the bench or it's a set play, a free kick, whatever it might be, 
Pep Guardiola always goes straight to Arteta. And I know that they were close, but there's a there's a real feeling, I feel like, uh, amongst all um, Arsenal bloggers and, and fan groups at the moment, that, that he was he was to an extent the, the brains, you know, and, and that's sort of uh, something to be really excited about. But interesting when you said about the sign, you know, the sign of the times in a parallel universe, the fact that Ancelotti's gone to Everton, Arteta's now manager of Arsenal. See, I don't think Carlo Ancelotti is, would have been the right manager for Arsenal. And yes, he, he's had an amazing career, and he's won just about everything there is to win in football. But if you analyse his teams that he's had, how many teams, how many players actually has he developed himself? He's generally been in charge of teams that have had superstars, top class players so what he's done really really well is he's managed groups of players he's managed he's a manager he he does that aspect of it very very well uh, and a lot of the rumours around Na- uh, Napoli were at the end that the players were actually dictating the training sessions that the manager was just happy to keep the players happy and and obviously he would give tactics he would, he would run that aspect of it however he wanted the players to be happy and that's how he worked. At, at, at Chelsea was exactly the same. They said he was the nicest man in the world. The, the, no one has a bad word to say about him. But he's not someone that is necessarily, I believe, and from my understanding, is someone that's going to come in and, and, and actually develop young players. What he wants, he, he wants, he wants a, a, you know, a, a chest full of money to bring in top-class players, manage the current players that they have, but also bring in established. He will attract bigger name players. I mean, look, Slatan's already been mentioned about turning up at Everton, and that's all off the back of Carlo Ancelotti. It couldn't, could it? Had Or could it? Could it? Well, or could it? I think, I think it could. But then you're talking about uh, Ibrahimovic, who's, what, 37, 38 years old, been playing at the ML, in the MLS for the last three years. Is he a type of player that you want to have at Everton as an Everton fan? I mean, yeah, four or five years ago, 100%. Now? I'm not so sure. I, I don't think. I just don't. I mean, listen. The MLS is is is, is physical. You've, you know, you've got to be incredibly fit, and he scored an, an enormous amount of goals. And there's no doubting the guy's got or has had amazing ability, and and was a world class player. I just don't know whether or not he would be able to play at that level anymore in the Premier League, week in week out. Yes, would he come on and make it have an impact? Yeah, possibly. But like, I just don't know whether that's worth. The, the uh, everything else that goes around it. Um, so so back to my point, you know, with Mikel Arteta taking over at Arsenal, he's a young manager. He's it's his first main job. It's a bit like Frank Lampard. Other than Frank's second job was at Chelsea, but he came from Derby and he came to Chelsea. First player he got rid of was David Luiz because David Luiz didn't want to, you know, didn't believe, didn't 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 uh, didn't agree with the, the way that uh, Frank wanted to take team forward, and therefore they parted company. Arteta, I think, is going to be the same. He's going to go more youth. He's going to stick with a lot of the younger players. Why? Because a lot of the younger players will have respect from him immediately. A lot of the older players won't necessarily. They will be, they will reserve judgment until a certain period of time. And some of them won't actually have any respect. I mean, you you look at Aubameyang's brother already coming out saying that you know he was disappointed that Arteta has been appointed as manager because of they needed, he believed they needed a really vastly experienced manager and all the talk is that Aubameyang wants to leave and uh, Ozil's another issue so I can see a whole list of these older players moving on because A they don't have the respect they want to win things now they don't want to be hanging around trying to wait for the rebuilding of a team to actually win anything 
and 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 I think that's one of the 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 key issues here. So I think Arsenal will take time. They will take time to to flourish, to redevelop, to rebuild. Arsenal's on a team, a club that are going to go out and spend hundreds of millions of pounds to to buy a new team. They're going to have to develop within, plus bring the odd one or two in. And on top of that, you've got your problem child. You've got Mesut Özil, who is earning an absolute fortune and never delivering. So, Mark, this is a question I've been wanting to ask you for 10 years, and the reason why it's taken me so long is because it's, of course, your team of the decade. Now, as you probably can assume, if I was to be able to give you my team of the decade, it'd be very heavily uh, heavily North London-based, but I think it, uh, you're a bit of a better man to ask on this one. So I want your team of the decade, and I know you've been stressing about it, so I'll be interested to know who your goalkeeper is, but I want to know that last. So let's go up the pitch first, um, and what's your forward line looking like? Okay, I'm going to a front three, and my my first one. Listen, I, I'm I'm happy. That, okay, the one guarantee position, I'm going to say Robert Lewandowski, right down the middle. He's my my forward. Um, listen, what what it hasn't he won at club level? He's won everything. His goal scoring record is insane. And currently this season, again, I mean, it's just like, he's, he, I think he's close to 30 goals already and in all competitions, which is just incredible. Um, and uh, he just seems to get better and better every year. Then it's the two players that you can't not pick. I don't think any person who was going to pick their team of the decade wouldn't, wouldn't have these two in their team. That's Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Lionel Messi. Do you um, rate them, do you? Else? Yeah, what else am I going to say? You know, what else can you say? You, you know, you, you just look at the influences they both have. Firstly, obviously, Messi at Barcelona and Ronaldo, where, wherever he's gone. Real Madrid, uh, the minute he leaves, they, they, they fail to, to win the Champions League again. He's just been incredible. Both of their, their both, both scoring records is, is insane. Um, the, the issue, the slight issue in terms of ta- uh, the sort of positional play is that obviously Cristiano Ronaldo has become a number nine. So with Lewandowski, Ronaldo, I'm I'm still confident enough that the two of them can can to make room for each other. That they can they can move around a little bit. Um, and Messi, listen, Messi can go where he wants because <laughs> you know he's going to influence the game. You know he's going to win your games, and he's going to prov- provide for you as well. Middle of the park, who you got? Okay, so David Silva from Manchester City. Uh, the last ten years, he has again been one of the best. Um, midfield players creative uh, funny enough I'm going for a full Spanish midfield so David Silva Xavi Iniesta I, I don't think you get much better than that no I, I, can't, I can't think of any any three midfielders I'd play ahead of those guys uh, you know I mean Iniesta Xavi Barcelona the engine creativity at times but the engine is insane um, both of them so highly regarded and to have won everything you know, World Cup, European Championships, and then Champions League, you know, domestic titles. Uh, The list goes on and on and on. Um, Yeah, three phenomenal players. Now, you can't win trophies without a decent defence. So who you got for that? Okay, so right back, I'm going to go with Daniel Alves. Uh, Obviously, Barcelona. So I played against him when he was at Seville. Unfortunately, we're on the receiving end of a loss. Uh, That was the... At the time, UEFA Cup final when I was with Middlesbrough. He was playing for Sevilla. We played it in Eindhoven. Um, yeah, phenomenal player. Went on, from there, from after that, he went on to bigger and better things at Barcelona. 
and um, I don't think again as a right back hard not to pick him for this last particular last 10 years and then left back I'm gonna I'm gonna it's a bit of a curveball really because he's he's predominantly a right-sided player but I, I believe he's so good he can play anywhere he, he played for Germany he played in midfield at times he played at right back he, he's one of those players I thought was very versatile and was very very good defensively but also great in attack and kind of he was a right-sided Andreas Bremer really and it's Philipp Lahm and I'm going to play him at left back because I think he's that good he can play at left back and I don't think there's anything at left back I mean Marcelo is one player that I thought um, however I think uh, I think um, Lahm is a, is a better player Philipp Lahm I think he's a better all-round player more discipline um, technically a better player and uh, yeah I, I, that's why he has to be in my in my defence Vincent Company and Sergio Ramos nice uh, I think you know Vincent Company. I think at times has been a little bit underrated and that's purely because of the amount of injuries he sustained. Uh, I think when he did play though for, for Manchester City was incredible. He, they, they, were so, they were only really successful when he was in their team and uh, they were a different team when he played. And uh, I know, you know from other than a domestic, from domestic trophies, you know, he hasn't won any European football trophies. However, I think he, you know, he was such, he's such a, a, he was a phenomenal athlete and a, and a tremendous defender. And then Sergio Ramos, you know, again, another Spanish player, another player that's won everything, World Cup, European Championships, numerous Champions League, uh, domestic titles, uh, the list goes on again. And, you know, he's probably, he's one of those players that vast majority of people hate, unless he plays for your team. And when he plays for your team, I think you love him because you realise how good a player he is and what he does for you. Now, here it is. This is this is the big one, Mark. Uh, who is your goalkeeper of the decade? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because the guy that I'm, I've actually chosen, again, the last couple of years, uh, he's only really come back into some sort of form in the last sort of six to 12 months. Okay. Uh, Prior to that, um, he, had a, he had a very poor World Cup in 2018. He had a lot of injuries leading up to that. Um, but definitely, I would say, up until probably 2015, 2016, was by far and above the best goalkeeper on the planet. And that's uh, Manuel Neuer. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, I think he changed the way goalkeeping um, was played. I, I, you know, he took it to another level. His, his physicality, his command commanding of the of the ANR box his ability to control the area between himself his goal line and, and his defenders him starting attack every attack pretty much I mean he was he was a big big reason why Germany won the World Cup in 2014 uh, he was incredible and goes down as one of the the best ever for me How, where, whereabouts do you did you put yourself do you think in that uh, in that list never came into discussion. really Really? <laughs> what, what never a, come anywhere near discussion, mate. I, I, no, no, that was like, no, there was never, never a discussion. <laughs> would you, would you say that you'd um, make the Socceroos team or, or best eleven ever, or the, or even of the decade? Mate, that, those, those are always difficult ones. I, I don't ever like to, to talk about myself in, uh, as, as a, you a can, player. You can be honest, always, just between you and me, just between you and me, mate. I'm not recording yeah, course, right now, and, so and it's the fine. ten listeners. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I'd rather let other people make those, those, you know, those, those sort of comments or those decisions I, or judgments. I, I like to 
chat. I, I like to just get on with it and do my job. And, you know, if people give you praise for it, that was always an added bonus. But it was more important to me that my teammates, the manager, and particularly my goalkeeping coach I was working with all the time, uh, respected and appreciated and acknowledged what you did. Do you think that I would be in the team of the decade for red wine-based uh, sports podcasts? Or would I maybe oh, on the yeah, bench? No doubt. Hands oh, really? Down. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're definitely in the top, top. Uh, I mean, I'm in the eleven, but I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. But you're in the top, sort of top fifteen. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Bench. Yeah. I'm yeah. on the bench. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You could be just because your fitness levels are probably <laughs> sure. not at the levels that you'd expect. Sure. Okay. No, that's fair enough. I, I, unfortunately, once again, I just have to cop that. Now, Mark, uh, it is the time of the two sharp reds where we will decide uh, what this bottle of wine uh, or who this bottle of, remi- uh, bottle of wine reminds us of. So, again, can you just remind the listeners uh, what uh, what exact drink we are having right now? And uh, if you've got someone in mind, take it away. Yeah, so it's a, um, it's a, a Derif Shiraz. Uh, it's an Australian wine. It's called Dark Corner. It's a 2018, and it's from southeastern Australia. So um, it's a medium to full-bodied, apparently. Uh, I'm going more full-bodied. It's, uh, like I said before, it's like going to the dessert um, section on a buffet and grabbing a full bo- a bowl of cherries and... Uh, raspberries and blueberries and blackberries and and eating them all at the same time that's the 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 sort of feeling i'm getting it's a very very fruity uh flavor to it and it's got quite a long lasting effect and i actually i i reckon after i've i've had a couple more glasses i reckon i can go and have a bowl of ice cream and still feel like i'm having a a bowl of fruit with my ice cream sure (laughs) yep yeah, so, okay, so I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, it's just literally popped in my head because it's such a full-bodied, it's full of a lot of fruit, and I mean, it's a dessert kind of, I, I'm going, obviously, it's not a dessert wine, that's definitely not what I'm going with, but I'm talking about the way I described it in terms of having a bowl of cherries, uh, blackberries, blueberries, and, and the likes, um, and a bowl of ice cream, and someone that, when I played, uh, definitely wasn't shy in and going to the dessert menu and actually probably any menu and at times <laughs> probably was just always carrying that little bit too much sure uh, was a very very good player technically very good yeah didn't quite hit the consistent heights that he should have and part of that was the, the, there was a fight or oh, I think always with his weight with his weight sorry um, I think he was a self-esteem issue as well and uh, and more recently, I've come across him again. I've, I've met up with him. I've, I've seen him at various events, and he's the fittest I've ever seen. And and so often, you know, so often we see footballers retire and they put on a lot, a lot of weight. I think there's a different generation now. It's kind of going the other way with a lot of players. He was actually he at times he was he was bordering being overweight, and actually coming back to preseason at at, at uh, Middlesbrough back then, he was definitely overweight, and he used to wear the hilarious gear. And um, I saw him recently. He was in phenomenal shape. Showed him, actually he was that confident and full of full of uh, being so proud of the way he looked after himself. Lifted up his top, showed me his abs and everything. And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> what happened to you? Why didn't you do that when you were playing?" He just laughed, and it was Mido, the Egyptian striker, yep. who actually he played for Tottenham, um, and then we signed him at, uh, at at Middlesbrough, and we we saw glimpses of how good a player he was. 
and uh, unfortunately he kind of just didn't really carry on with it but I, I was a, I, I you know I, I, I really I thought he was a really good player and just disappointed that we didn't get to see that that that's sort of the the maximum of him when he was at uh, Middlesbrough. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, well, I'm I'm not sure if he will, obviously. But let's if no one tells him that we've mentioned this in the podcast, then we should well, be okay. Probably see it. Yeah, he'll probably see it because he we, we follow each other on Instagram. Oh no, there's a bit of contacting there every now and then. But you know what? He's a top guy. Really lovely guy. Um, and uh, I, I think I think he'll be the first person to admit he was slightly overweight when he was playing. Okay, well, I'm going for someone uh, who is also from southeastern Australia, as this bottle of wine is. I'm also going for someone who I, I couldn't agree more with you with the word fruity. I'm going with someone who, when I saw him play, there were moments of real explosions and real just style and, and it was special. Real sort of YouTube highlight moments, which I feel like uh, this bottle of wine is. And... The other word in particular, and I know this might be a little cheeky play on words, but I do think it's quite it's quite a bold wine, I feel. So I, with that in mind, I'm going for someone who is bald, because uh, bold and bald is quite similar. Okay. And for Why, that... Just because you're trying to rhyme it and it doesn't really work? No, it works. No, it works. Everyone knows it works. Uh, with that in mind, I'm going for Marco Bresciano. Yeah? Okay. I think well, that works um, perfectly. Do you? Well, right, I'll make I'll make sure I let him know that. <laughs> <laughs> and no, and again, what a bottle of wine this is! What a player! But he was he was fruity. He was special. He pulled out moments that were that will always be uh, remembered amongst uh, all Australian fans. And he is from southeastern Australia, from Melbourne, I believe. But more, most importantly, he's bold. <laughs> and one of his most famous and most important goals to have ever scored was. Um, was it against Uruguay, I believe? Yes, it was, 2005. Yeah. yeah that was... Scored the 1-0, got us yeah. extra time. And that'll go down in, in folklore. But people for, kind of forget that, really, because we look at, you know, the penalty shootout, um, and then obviously finally, you know, my, obviously myself being involved, saving two penalties, and then Johnny Alwissi scoring that winning penalty, which was an amazing moment and iconic, and it takes something special to step up and take a penalty and under those pressure sort of situation and you know even the great Mark Maduka missed yeah. to show that he, he is every now and then human um, which is insane and all the other guys kind of get lost in all the hype in Tony Vitmar, Harry Kuehl, Lucas Neal who stepped up and, and converted their penalties and obviously Johnny Johnny he steps up and never had a doubt in my mind that he was going to score well, okay, maybe maybe uh, a slither. Sure. But generally, I didn't have a doubt. I just didn't want to jinx it. And I didn't want to go too soon because I actually was tempted to go before even the ball hit the back of the net. But I didn't, and I just waited until I saw the net move. It, looked, the ball there. it looked like it and took you less than off. half a second to get off, though. Looking at the, Sorry, what was that? It looked like it only took you half a second. It looks like you yeah, did run before. That's how quick and focused I was yeah. because I was that confident he was going to score. Um, I, I don't think I was. I don't think I've ever been as confident in anyone taking a penalty as uh, John Aloisi. Mark, thank you. It's uh, it's been interesting. What do you reckon? Was it was it better without me in the room? Better or worse? You know what? I, it's still touch and go, mate. And, yeah. I, and I think really it's about let's see what the response is. You yeah. Know, people might actually go. You know what? You two work better. 
not in the same room. <laughs> or people may say, you know what, you need to get you two together again. Yeah, yeah. Well, either or, I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I'm still... I, I like the fact that at the end of the episode, I haven't had to run out of your house because of your dogs. So at the end of the day, yeah, well, I'm happy. Well, listen, take it as a compliment. And also, I'm trying to encourage you to get fit. Yeah. So... You know, every time it's right. Okay, ready. I'll open the door and run. Yeah, go. And, and listen, it's a great way of trying to get fit. Yeah. No. Well, thank. Well, th- I, sh- I suppose I should thank you. <laughs> so, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate that. Uh, no problems, mate. No problems. Here's to I normally a- charge. I normally <laughs> charge top dollar for that sort of stuff. Right? Really. Friend, yeah. sort of friends rate I like it I like it well <laughs> thank you for another episode of the Two Sharp Reds um, I'm looking forward to I believe the next episode will be is it just before New Year's or, or, or indeed it'll be in the new year um, but either way it's uh, it's an exciting time it's um, just before mate on the 30th just the before it's on the 30th mate come on and I hope on the 30th I hope finally again you may actually deliver some wine because you know what let's be honest yeah. You are lagging seriously behind already. Well, when you've provided essentially two bottles, I suppose you can count that I for have. today. Yeah. No, so you, I, hang on. I'm just wondering. I must have misplaced your Christmas present that you gave me. I must have misplaced it. it well, I, no, I put it at your front door, but I think I think one of your hounds got to it. <laughs> I think that's a pretty I'm safe sure bet. I'm sure they did. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Uh, cheers to another episode, Mark. Enjoy your time on the ski slopes. Uh, and if you've got any recommendations, as always, uh, for a bottle of wine that we need to try, hit us up on social media at Ollie Gill, at Mark Schwarzer, and, of course, Optus Sport. I'm looking forward to trying a new bottle of wine. And we should make it a special one, Mark. The last one, the last sharp red we'll have in the decade. It's in a momentous time. Absolutely. Can't wait for it, mate, and uh, look forward to seeing you in person the very next time we, we record the Two Sharp Reds. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.